Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast, presented by Canon Press. So, welcome to the podcast. This is episode 225. I'm Douglas Wilson. I'm glad you decided to join us. Thanks for coming. So, I want to talk here a little bit about penalties for abortion. Every consistent Christian is pro-life. Every consistent Christian wants abortion to be against the law, okay? But if we want abortion to be against the law, and we want the law to have teeth, we, we want the law to be a law and not a mere suggestion, that means there has to be penalties. What sort of penalties do you assign for something like abortion? And penalties for whom? Penalties for whom? Now, the rhetoric of the pro-life movement has been for decades that abortion is murder. Okay, You're dealing with a human life. You're dealing with uh, someone who will live forever. You're dealing with a boy or a girl whose life is taken. Okay, and if someone provides an abortion, an abortion doctor, or if someone's an accomplice to abortion, let's say a nurse or staff worker in an abortion clinic, or if someone procures an abortion, a woman, should there be any civil penalties? And this is where the debate and discussion has arisen. Should there be any penalties for the mother of an unborn child who? Procure, procures an abortion? And the answer to that, I think, is it depends. So, uh, well, there, there, there should be some penalties, but period. But should there be penalties for first-degree murder? Now, this is a, a big part of the pro-life establishment wants to say, no, of course not, and wants to talk about, uh, wants to categorize the victims as the baby and the mother together. Both the baby and the mother are the victims. Okay. Now, I think that that, I think that, that is arguable in some cases, in some situations. But, but here's, here's where, where we have to be careful. When you say that, basically, if you say, uh, once an egg is fertilized, I believe, based on my study of scripture and my understanding of theology, that a human being has, an individual, unique human being has come into existence, and that human being will live forever. That, uh, that human being is created in the image of God. Now, when someone walks up to someone on the street, uh, you know, a mugger, and shoots somebody else, they are killing someone made in the image of God. When an abortionist takes, takes and kills a cluster of cells, that cluster of cells is a human being, but it doesn't look like most of the human beings that abortionist knows, right? In order to recognize it as a human being, you would have to do some research. You'd have to do some study. So, so for example, would you be able to tell if you have a fertilized egg, a, a human fertilized egg, or the fertilized egg of another mammal, could a layman 
look at both of them under the microscope and tell which was which. Well, you can you can tell which is which if you're looking at a chimpanzee at the zoo and you're looking at one of the people looking at the chimpanzee at the zoo, you can tell at a glance. Everyone can tell at a, at a glance. That's the human being. That's the chimpanzee. Now, this is not to relativize. I, I believe that abortion is murder, and I believe that abortion from the first moment is murder. But if you bring a murder charge against the mother, if you bring a, a murder in the first degree, I, I'm not prepared to throw overboard centuries of jurisprudence and common law on things like the burden of proof, presumption of innocence, having to demonstrate beyond a reasonable doubt that the person knew what he was doing. Okay? It's the difference between murder in the first degree and negligent manslaughter or manslaughter. So I'm building up to this. Basically, if you had a, a woman who was a medical doctor herself and was an abortionist herself and who specialized in late term abortions, I would say, that that person, I think, you, let's say you had a woman who was the equivalent of Gosnell, the, the, the macabre doctor who did all the appalling things to the children he aborted. If you had a woman who was a medical doctor who had that level of knowledge, it would be easy to show at a murder trial that she knew what she was doing. Okay, In other words, it'd be easy to demonstrate beyond a reasonable doubt that she knew what she was doing. If you had a pharmacist who sold an abortifacient over-the-counter morning-after pill to a young woman, and, and he, he was just, you know, the clerk, he was the clerk there that day, not, maybe not the pharmacist, but he sold the packet of pills, and he sold it to a 16-year-old girl who failed high school biology twice. How easy would it be for the defense attorney to cast doubt on the fact that she knew what she was doing? All right, do you see that? This is not a discussion about whether or not abortion of any kind is the unlawful taking of human life. It has to do with what is the nature of the just, how should the justice system work? So if you want to say, I think that we should have automatic penalties for the mother. The, the doctors and the mothers, and we just have an across-the-board penalty because we're going to stomp out abortion. I think what you're doing is you're, you are doing far more damage to our history of jurisprudence than you are in helping the babies. Because what that's going to do is you're going to set up some horrendous situation that will then make it easy for people to reject uh, your pro-life position. So, Abortion should be outlawed? Yes. Abortion should be outlawed across the board? Yes. Should there be penalties for abortion doctors who provide abortions once abortions are outlawed? Yes. And if it shows that if you've got a, a clear-cut Gosnell thing and the prosecutor thinks that he can, he can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this is the murder that we Christians know it to be, then he should he should pursue it. And he should pursue it if the person who has that knowledge is the mother. There is a, a, there is a level of culpability that the mothers share. They're not the pro-life establishment, notwithstanding, 
the mothers who procure abortions are not simply victims. Simpliciter. All right, carrying on with podcast episode 225. Why wouldn't we continue on with 225? So our hamartiology section continues here. We're continuing to consider what the New Testament teaches us about various sins, looking at the Greek words that describe sinful behavior. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, some of the words describe words that are essentially sinful, while others use words that apply to sins depending on the context. So our word today is an example of the latter, the the kind that depends on context. It is ekleo, E-K-K-L-E-I-O, ekleo, and it means to exclude. It means to exclude. The word itself is innocent enough because it would obviously not be sinful to exclude a false teacher. We're instructed in the New Testament to exclude false teachers and keep them out. We're instructed to exclude the person who professes to be a Christian but who is living like a pagan. We're supposed to exclude them. The one usage that describes a sinful pattern is found in Galatians. They zealously, if Galatians 4.17, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you, there it is, yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. This is actually a favorite technique of cult leaders and false teachers. By rejecting people, they make it seem like inclusion is truly valuable. They're placing value on my, uh, the false teacher places value on his good opinion, and he places value on it by extending his bad opinion. And there's a certain kind of person that responds to that. So the, uh, there, there are people in the world when you come up, what do you, what do you think of um, the dinner I cooked? Or what do you think of my painting? Or what do you think about my short story? And there's a certain kind of critic who says, I thought it was awful. I thought it was the worst short story I've ever read. And that puts the person back on their heels. And there's a certain kind of person who, when put back on his heels, wants desperately to ingratiate himself with that, that critic. So that's, that's something that false teachers frequently use. They, they don't, some false teachers obviously flatter and conjole, and, and, and it's all flattery. It's all oleaginous, buttery rhetoric. There's another kind of false teacher who slaps the, the slaps the people around. He treats them roughly because there are people who respond to that, and they then they want to ingratiate themselves. So it's a favorite technique of cult leaders and false teachers. By rejecting people, they make it seem like inclusion is truly valuable. Some people are just wired that way. They're motivated that way, and false teachers have them figured out. All they have to do is slap them around a little bit, and then the mistreated will follow them anywhere. This is obviously a sinful pattern. So Galatians 4.17, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. So uh, they push you away to play hard to get, and so that you try to get in with them good. All right, continuing on with uh, podcast episode 225. The book I would like to commend to you this this go round is simply a marvelous, marvelous book. I got it. I forget how I got it, but I I got it. It's Fractals. The book is called Fractals, and it's by Jason Lyle, L I S L E. Jason Lyle. He's a Christian writer, scientist, really uh, sort of wizard level smart guy. 
And this, this book, Fractals, is, um, I think, best described as a coffee table book. It's gorgeously done, full-color printing throughout the book as a nicely bound um, coffee table book entitled Fractals. So what is a fractal? Well, there are lots of them, uh, but I'm going to talk about the kind of fractal that Lyle spends the bulk, he, uh, he spends the bulk of his book illustrating this kind of thing. And, um, and there are other variations on the theme, which you can get the book, or you can, you can look it up online. So take a, um, basically what uh, you do in the kind of fractal that I'm going to be talking about here, which is a uh, Mandelbrot set, Mandelbrot set. There's a very simple formula that involves, uh, there's an X axis and a Y axis. So very simple X, X axis and a Y axis. And there's a very simple formula that, and, and I'll just give, there's five, it's five figures. So Z up arrow two plus C. So this is something you plug in a number to see where it lands. And what it does is if, if you plot if you plot the numbers, the result of the, what you plug into this formula, if you plot it on the xy axis, the numbers that belong to the set form a figure, and everything else is outside that set, right? So you've got this little simple formula, and you plug it in and see what happens. Now, the, the figure that develops is this astonishingly complex figure. It's just, it's just amazing. When you have, um, it's like a, there's a, the central figure is like a cardioid. It's like a sideways heart, heart-shaped thing. And then off uh, with the division of the heart on the right and the, the, the tail goes into another, like a circle. And then off of the left of that is another circle. And then off to the left, there's another. And then all around the cardioid and these circles, are little circles, and the whole thing is repeats out to infinity. So you've, if you zoom, it basically, it used to be that you would have to do all this math by hand, but now with computers, they can, they can plot these, they can plot the numbers of the formula at a high rate of speed, and they can generate it out faster than you can follow. And so in the Mandelbrot set, you, you see, oh, Okay, this is astonishing. So this little figure, this little formula, they plot on the axis and then they assign colors. Um, so what Lyle has done is he assigns black to the 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 things that belong to the set proper, and then other uh, numbers have assigned colors. And the patterns that fo- form are just simply gorgeous. And you say this is there's no way that this is a random happenstance. This is Lyle showing us how this kind of esoteric math is just simply beautiful. So when you uh, if you get this book, every page has got a detailed photo, some close-ups, some uh, zoomed out, and then there are th- there are brief explanations of what's going on, how this particular set was generated. Uh, the explanations are, the one critique I'd have of the book is the explanations are a little 
hard to read sometimes because they're printed on top of the these gorgeous photos and depending on the color it's a little harder to read but i read i read the whole thing and uh, really enjoyed it after i encountered this book one of the things we did for christmas this last christmas is uh we bought a copy of this book for all the men in the, in the family. This, this was part of their Christmas present. It was, uh, it's just a wow factor book. If you want to be, if you want your uh, belief in creationism anchored, uh, this is a really good book to, to 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 get read. So go to it. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, check out the audiobook for Law and Liberty from the R.J. Rush Dooney Collection and Canon Plus. Just click the link in the show notes to start listening today.